Hi guys. Chúc mừng năm mới. Hello. Um, this is uh, my first time uh, with you guys preaching. Um, but yeah, um, what I usually do with the youth group, um, I'm gonna treat you like the youth group today, so I can be a little less less nervous. But what we do is. Uh, what we do is uh, we actually stand to read God's word together. So if you're able to stand, uh, would you uh, turn with me to uh, Luke 24? And we're going to read today's passage. And yeah, um, if you're not able to stand, it's okay. You can stay seated. Uh, but if you're able to, please stand with us out of reverence for God's word. And I always tell them, this is the most important part of the sermon because this is the part I can't mess up. This is the part that's legitly God's word. So... Um, Let's hear God's word together from Luke chapter 24, verse 44 to 53. Um, Hear now God's word. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he he parted from them and was carried up into the heavens. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continuing, continually in the temple, blessing God. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Um, I'm going I'm to pray for us, then we'll get into today's sermon. Lord, we come to you today and uh, we ask for your Holy Spirit to be here, to work in our hearts, to speak through your words, to speak through me. And God, would you, Lord, uh, kindle our hearts for what makes your heart yearn, what makes your heart break. God, give us your heart for this world. Lord, help us to, to not be tone deaf to your, 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 your heart's cry, God. But God, give us more compassion Give us more love to go out into this world with the greatest hope that we have. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, good morning, guys. Um, so I uh, just first want to thank you guys uh, for those who prayed for our youth group retreat this past weekend. Um, it was really good. Uh, there was a lot of crazy things that happened, but, um, you know, actually... Just a moment ago at the trailer, uh, I had the kids actually come up and just share uh, how the Lord worked in them uh, and their testimonies. And, and I just want to let you guys know that the prayers that you guys have prayed and those who volunteered is, is not going in vain. Um, you, know, the, the, you know, students shared how, how God, God really worked through them in this retreat, worked in them. And, you know, one, one of the things, uh, and especially the, you know, a lot of students shared about the praise team. So thank you, praise team, for coming out. Um, they were really blessed by it. 
and you know, the, the atmosphere you guys created really allowed for God to, to work in, and touch the hearts of the students. Because I think a lot of times for students, there's a lot of disconnect to, to between their, their mind and for us as well and their heart, right? They, they know God loves them, but it's, it's hard to actually experience it. And I think uh, through the praise team, they were actually brought into a space where they can actually be touched by God and encounter him. And so I just want to let you guys, encourage uh, you guys for, thank you guys for coming out. I, I really know the, the, the kids really know that you guys love them. And, you know, one, one testimony I just want to share that really struck me, you know, one of our students was sharing how, you know, uh, he really felt like God um, um, really been working in his life. And, and he shared how, um, you know, a lot of the older brothers who's invested in him has really made an impact on his life. And he's, there's one line he said that stuck me. He said, um, God saved me through people, right? And I think that's the reality of, of missions is, is that, hey, God saves through people. And, and these kids, uh, you know, they, they, they grow up with a lot of problems that um, most kids their age should not be going through. Um, and yet um, God, God met, meet, meet, meet them there. And, you know, they have broken families. They have um, crises that they're going through. And yet, uh, you know, I think in, in, in that retreat, God really answered a lot of prayer requests. So I just want to say thank you guys uh, for, for praying for that. But with that, today is uh, our, our sermon on missions. I'm going to be speaking about missions. Uh, past few weeks, uh, we've been learning about uh, the, the pillars of our church. And, and today is the life of missions. And... And, and in today's passage, um, you know, I, I don't really have like a sermon in the sentence, right? <laughs> but, if, but, if, but if I had to, if I had to come up with one, um, it's not as clean, but it's just um, the gospel calls us outward, uh, out of ourselves, and it leads us to compassion, um, compassion for this world, right? And so this is actually, you know, a personal testimony of mine, you know, it's a miracle I'm up here because... I'm actually an introvert, and I'm, I'm terrified right now, and <laughs> I'm, I don't know what I'm, uh, how I could be standing here, except uh, if it weren't for the love of God that um, really compelled me uh, to, to pursue this calling. Um, and so I think, you know, what the gospel does in our lives is, for those of you guys who are like me, who are introverts, those who are not people, like, super good at with interacting with big crowds, right? God's love and his gospel leads us outwards. It leads us out of ourselves. And for those of you guys who are maybe more bold, more extroverted, what the gospel gives us is it gives us compassion, right? It, it gives us compassion for the people that we interact with. And, and that's, I would say, is, is the, the, the sermon in a sentence that's not really a sentence. <laughs> yeah. But I have three points. I have three points. Why, why missions matters, right? The first point is, uh, missions is God's heart cry and from revealed in scripture. It's the answer to God's heart cry. And the second point is missions is the answer to humanity's greatest need. And then thirdly, uh, missions begins and ends with worship, right? So we're going to go through those three points. And, you know, Katie told me the, the most impactful worship, I mean, mi- mission sermons have been the ones that have a lot of stories, um, and, and so I, I tried to put in as many as I could, right? And, um, you know, first, what we need to do is we need to define what missions is. What is missions, right? And missions is, 
it, it actually is, it doesn't appear in the Bible at all. It doesn't appear in the Bible because it's actually a Latin, it comes from a Latin word that means to send, right? And so in the Bible, the words that they, is used is, is to be sent, right? To be sent. And, and who are we sent by? We are sent by our risen Lord Jesus Christ. And if you guys are familiar with the passage called the Great Commission, you know, you guys are familiar with the go and make disciples um, of all nations, and, and in today's passage, we get the Great Commission in Luke, right? And this is a little different, um, and, but that, that's why God gave us different gospels, so we can get different, uh, different aspects of what the Great Commission means. And, and so missions, at the heart of it is that we've been sent out. We've been sent out by God. As God has sent Jesus Christ into this world, now Jesus Christ sends you. And in missions, we are sent to be witnesses, to proclaim the hope that Jesus brings through his death and resurrection. It's, it's, this, I, it's at the center of missions, is the center is a person, Jesus Christ. And he is humanity's greatest need. So mission is calling people to Jesus Christ, simply put, right? Because Jesus Christ is the world's greatest need. And it is this idea that from the beginning, God's heart has been for the world. God's heart has, has been to, to reach the ends of the earth with his glory, with his love. And so in Romans chapter 10, this is where the word mission in, in the Bible appears, not the word mission, but the word sent, is that how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, right? And so the Bible says, you are sent into the world with a mission, a mission to bring a world that is lost to Christ, right? And the danger we have in our church, I fear for our church, is that, that we become an inward, ingrown church, right? We become a church that is really good at doing church. We are a great community, and we are a great, uh, loving place. We are a very safe place for, for all sinners to come. And that, that is what we should be. The Bible says Jesus came for not the, the healthy, but he came for the sinners. He came for not the righteous, but he came for the sick. And just as Jesus, uh, just as a hospital is full of sick people, right, the church is full of sinners, right? The, hospi- the church is kind of like a hospital, but I think sometimes if we get too stuck in only that, we forget that church is also a, it's a rescue station, right? It's a place where we come to be healed by our Savior, but it's also a place where we go and are sent out into a world that needs rescuing. And this is how one of the missionaries, C.T. Studd, a missionary to China and later Africa, he put it. He said, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within the yard of hell. You know, to be a church is not just to be a hospital, but it's to be a rescue station. It's realizing that there is a world that is, without Christ, is lost. And it's, 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 it's that we need to go. We need to go out. And so uh, the first point that God gives us today is uh, missions, God's heart, Revealed is God's heart revealed in Scripture, and so if you look at today's passage, right, this is after Jesus resurrects and He's speaking to His disciples, 
And he's about to unlock to them what is the whole summary of what the Bible is about, right? And if, 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 the, if you guys were ever to ask the question, if, if, I, if everything in the Bible were to click and make sense to me, what would, what would, that, what would that mean for me? What, what would that look like in my life? And this is what Jesus, this is, Jesus is about to unpack for us. He says, these words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Basically, Jesus opens their minds to see what the whole scripture is all about. And what it is, is this. He says, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You know, the Bible is all about one person. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about God's story of his written, written record of his, his works, his doing, and his speaking. Right? But these are not just a random history. Right? It's not just a random story. The story of the Bible is a story of God saving a sin-fallen world and humanity. Right? So the story from beginning to end tells one united story of God saving a sin-fallen world and humanity. And so what does that mean for us? Where does missions fit into all of this? Well, missions is the current chapter we're living right now, right? God's heart has always been for the nations. From the beginning, God told Adam and Eve to go and bless the world. Go and fill the world with his glory, with his image. And in the same way, God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to all the nations, right? So if you notice, in the Bible, God's heart from the beginning has always been for the whole world, not just one people. The problem is our sinful nature makes us focus inward, right? That's what happened in the Tower of Babel, where God's people gathered, people gathered together to make a name for themselves, and they would not scatter. They would not go out. They would not be a blessing. And so what happens in the Bible is when Jesus comes, he is the fulfillment of everything that God has promised from the beginning, that he is going to bless and save this world through the death and resurrection of his son. And, and, and Jesus' work does not end there, right? Sometimes we just end there that Jesus died and he rose again. But the, the fact is the story continues with the proclaiming of repentance and forgiveness and sins to the ends of the world. The next chapter is you and I. We are, we are the answer to God's heart cry from the beginning. So let me give you an illustration of this, right? There's this movie called The Most, right? Uh, it's a French movie that really illustrates the gospel in a very powerful way. It's a very short film. You can watch it on YouTube. I encourage you to do it if you, ever get to, if you haven't seen it yet. And in this film, there's a father and a son. And the father, he loves his son to death. And he takes him to work one day. And his job is basically to be a railway uh, bridge operator. So what happens is whenever a ship goes through, he opens the bridge so that the ship can go through. And whenever a train's about to pass, he lets, lowers the bridge down, right? 
But in this story, right, while the father is, is, is hanging out with his son, right, and he leaves the son to go play on his own while he takes care of things at work, makes sure all the machinery is working, a train passes by, but it, but it ignores the red light, right? There's a red light. It ignores it and rushes past it, right? And so the father is not expecting a train to come anytime soon, but the bridge is still up. But the son from afar, he sees the smoke coming. He sees the smoke of the train, and he realizes what's happening. He realizes the situation. So he calls out to his dad. Because his dad's so far away, he can't hear him. So the son realizes what he has to do. He decides to go and try to manually close the bridge. But in the process, because his body's so small, he can't pull the lever, he falls in and gets trapped in between the gears. And at that moment, the father sees, at the last moment, he sees his, fa- his son fall into the gears. And now he realizes what was happening. He has a hard choice to make. He has a heartbreaking decision. Lower the bridge and crush his son or keep the bridge up and kill these, and, and that will mean everyone on the train would die. But they were the ones who ignored the warning in the beginning. They ignored the red light. It was, it was their own fault anyways. And yet the father ends up making the heartbreaking choice. He lowers the bridge and the son's body is crushed, right? And, and there is this scene that really sticks out in this film where there is this complete contrast of tone, right? In the train, the people don't even realize what's happened. They're just enjoying, you know, joking around. There's people smoking. There's people uh, gambling. There's people who are, who are making out. There's a woman fixing her makeup. Um, you know, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lady in the bathroom who's about to shoot up heroin. And all the while, the father outside, while this is happening, while the train just goes by without realizing what's happened, he's, he's, he's crying out in utter anguish, agony, grief-stricken. And, you know, at that last moment, that one lady who's, who's holding the heroin sees the father's face. He sees his grief, he sees his agony, and that makes her drop her heroin and, and not shoot herself up, right? But the idea is this. Just like the people on the train are completely tone deaf to what the father has done, they're completely tone deaf to the father's heart cry. I think in the church, we often could be very tone deaf to what's going on in God's heart. That God's heart is for this world. He yearns for sinners to come to him. He yearns that no one should perish, but come to the knowledge of his son. He yearns for this world. Yet, I think in our church, we can often lose that. We can lose that. Um, We can become tone deaf to what, what, what God's heart really is like for this world. So uh, the second point is this. Um, Jesus' mission is the answer to humanity's greatest need. Um, in, in today's verse, it says, Christ should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You know, there's, there's a lot of brokenness and suffering in our world. 
You know, um, I remember at the retreat this past weekend, I was praying with one of the students, and, um, you know, his, his, his family is going through a really hard time right now. You know, um, both his parents are very sick. And I remember when we were praying for them, you know, I felt so much uh, um, compassion. And for, I don't know where it came from. And, and we just both started to weep together. And, you know, I, I know a lot of these kids are going through a lot of difficult situations. And um, families becoming divorced and um, with dealing with, with suicide, things that are hard to even imagine, right? And yet... You know, I think sometimes we forget that our, there's even something even more dire. There's something actually even more of a greater need. And that the greatest need is, is, is yes, as important as our physical health and, and being healthy is. The greatest need is that we need to be reconciled to God. That our sins need to be forgiven. That without Christ, we will suffer eternally, eternally separated in hell. And, you know, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of hard questions to answer. Um, if the gospel is true and God is really good, then where is God amid extreme poverty and pain? Where is God's protection for the oppressed and exploited? Is hell really a place and does it last actually forever? If so, then why are so many people born into what seems like an earthly hell only to move to an eternal one? Is Jesus really the hope of the world? There's only one thing worse than being lost. What worse, what's worse is being lost when no one is trying to find you. And, you know, these are questions that are really hard to answer. And there are questions that I think as a pastor, it's, it's, I, I still have a hard time, hard time wrestling with. And, you know, in this, uh, there's a book that um, one pastor wrote called Something Needs to Change, right? Something Needs to Change, uh, Pastor David Platt. And what he did was he actually went to the Himalayas. And in the Himalayas, he saw all these people who, who were going through extreme earthly suffering, Right, there, were, there were teenage girls, even younger, enslaved to prostitution. There were those who had physical needs that could not be met because there wasn't medical resources. There were people there who, who were dying and, and never heard the gospel before in their life. And, and what, you know, these are questions that honestly are are, are really hard. And, you know, this is what he said. He says, some questions don't just, life's hardest questions don't just demand answers. They require action. And, you know, he was talking with the missionary there. The missionary who was living there, his name was Aaron, and he was asking I know I've been a pastor and I, I preach about this all the time. I know hell is real. I know it's what the Bible teaches, yet I just can't come to terms with it, right? And this is 
Uh, how come there are so many people in the world who have never even heard about it, right, the gospel? If the gospel is the only way, if Jesus is the hope of the world, how come so many people die without ever hearing it? And this is what the missionary says. He says, that is the mystery to me. But here's the conclusion I've come to about hell. You and I and every person who comes into this place has two options for how we think and live based on what we see here. The first option is to disbelieve the Bible, to stare at burning bodies and decide that hell just isn't real, or maybe just to decide that Jesus is not necessary to gain heaven, that people can go to heaven apart from faith in Jesus. But the only way to believe that is to disbelieve the Bible. So that's one option. The second option is to believe the Bible and to show that belief by spending your life sharing his truth and love in a world of urgent spiritual need, not merely physical need, as important as physical need is, but to live like people's spiritual need is their most urgent need. How can you say that? Yesterday we saw massive physical needs and you're doing all kinds of things up here to meet those needs. Aren't they just as important? As helpful as those water filters are, the fact is they won't get anybody in this village to heaven. So I realize I have two options. One, I can believe, disbelieve the Bible. I can say God's word is not true. Or maybe more subtly, I can assert that God's ways are not right. I can convince myself that somehow I have more compassion than God himself, such that if I were in charge, I would never create a place called hell. In other words, I can quickly convince myself that I know better than God and his word regarding what is right and good in the world. The more I think about this option, the more I realize it is the essence of sin. Way back in Genesis, sin entered the world when the created ones thought they knew better than the creator. Sin entered the world when man and woman convinced themselves they were right about what was good and God was wrong. My only other option is to believe God in his word, the Bible, and show the belief by spending my life sharing the truth and love of Jesus in a world of urgent spiritual need. Without question, that includes meeting the urgent physical needs through mercy ministry, aimed at social justice, the water filters, medical kits, sanitation systems, and scores of other resources, though critical for life on earth, won't get anyone to heaven. And temporary earthly suffering, however severe, pales in comparison to eternal suffering, which lasts forever. There is, if you realize the greatest need in everyone's life, including every life in the Himalayas and throughout the earth, is to have a hope beyond death. And what we need to do is, 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 is bring Jesus to them. And, you know, the reality is a lot of times we're tone deaf to that. We're tone deaf both to God's, God's heart cry, but we're also tone deaf to the cry and need of this world. It's so easy to think that our problems are so big and say, I don't have time. Someone else will worry about the world. It's very easy to, to numb ourselves to it. But every missionary who has ever lived, for them, hell was a reality they could not ignore. And you know, I'm going to give you a, a, 
You know, sometimes I think non-Christians get it better than us, right? Um, this is actually a, a true story. There was a criminal named Charlie Peace, and he was a criminal. He got caught, got condemned to death. And on the fatal morning of his execution trial, or execution, he went before the prison chaplain routinely, and that chaplain was basically routinely just sleepily reading the Bible verses to him when this guy's about to be executed. And the criminal touched the preacher and asked what he was reading. He said, the consolation of religions. And Charlie Peace was shocked at the way that he professionally read about hell. Can a man be so unmoved under the very shadow of the scaffold as to lead a fellow human there, yet dry-eyed, read of a pit that has no bottom into which this fellow must fall? Could this preacher believe the words that there is eternal fire that never consumes its victims and yet slide over the phrase without a tremor? Is a man, a human, if all who can say with no tears, you will be eternally dying and yet never know the relief that death brings? All this was too much for him, so he preached. Listen to this man's sermon. He says, sir, if I believed what you and the church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on hands and knees, and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. And a more modern example, uh, Jordan Peterson, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not a Christian, or he's like on the way, I guess. Um, but he says this, he, he puts it very well. He says, um, there is a saint, I don't know what this means, but sanctimonious authority with wrong tone. It's more like, I don't know how you lay it out properly. You tell people you love how to avoid the road to hell, not because you're shaking your finger at them, because you're a moral authority, but it's because you don't want them to burn. It's the love that helps people avoid the fire. Sometimes as Christians, we could be so cold-hearted in our evangelism. Um, if hell is a reality, this is what one missionary said. He says, um, He says, if sinners will be damned, at least let them, be leap to, let them lead to hell over our bodies. If they perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay and not madly to destroy themselves. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions and let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. So the question isn't if you're called to missions or not. The question is, where and how? And if, you, if you saw someone, a child who was disabled, stuck in the, in the middle of the railroad track, and the train's about to come, you're not going to go down on your knees and ask what God's will is. You're not going to go and say, God, give me the fuzzy feeling to make me go. What is your will? You already know what God's will is. It's to go and pull that child out. In the same way with missions, God, we already know what God's will is. We don't need to wait for a, a feeling to make us go. We have a command. And as Christians, we're all called to be part of this mission. And I'm not saying we all have to be missionaries. 
But it's just, if you understand that missions is the greatest need for all humanity and missions is the answer to God's heart cry, then you will be asking where and how, not whether if I'm called. How? How, Lord, can I be used for this mission? So I'm not, I'm not telling you guys have to do this or that. I'm saying that mission should be, should be on our hearts. It should be a priority. So the last part is this. Um, missions begins and ends with worship, right? And I'm, I'm not trying to guilt trip you guys because guilt is, it doesn't lead us to change, right? You know, I know all of us want to follow God's commission, but for various reasons, we have a hard time doing so. And at the end of the day, it's not, it's not guilt that will actually lead us to evangelize more, to actually go and share the gospel. It's actually love. And that's why it's actually worship. That is the beginning and then the end of missions. The starting place is you experiencing the gospel in your own heart. Jesus says to this sinful woman, he says, her sins that are many are forgiven because she loved much. But he who is forgiven, for he who is forgiven much loves much, right? So this idea, if you understand how much you have been loved by God, that is what leads you to go out. That is what leads you to, to desire not only for Jesus, it's because Jesus is the greatest need, because you also realize that you want, you, want your, 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 uh, you, want, you want your friend Jesus. You want to share the best thing that you have with others, right? So let me give, give you an example. Like, if you love something, it actually becomes natural to, to share about it. For example, if you have a daughter or a son that you really love, right? You don't have to tell someone to show them off, Right? I have my, I don't even have a daughter. I have a niece and I have her as my phone cover. And, you know, I, I, I could always share every single video about her and, and it, it brings me so much joy, right? I remember uh, when I was in college, uh, there was a game that everybody was talking about. It was Kobe's last game. And imagine if you watch Kobe's last game and saw him score 60 points and you didn't talk about that with anybody, you would just like burst inside because you want to talk to someone about it. And so the reality is if you truly love Jesus, talking about him should be natural. Wanting others to know him should be a natural and it should be something that you rejoice in. And so I think oftentimes when we have a cold heart for evangelism, when we have a whole cold heart for missions in the church, we need to answer the, the question that, that um, God, God calls the Ephesians church in Revelations. He says, return to your first love. Right? And in this context, I believe Jesus is talking about a church that has perfect doctrine, a church that is really healthy, but they've lost their passion for the gospel. They've stopped being a light. And that's why God says, if you don't repent, if you don't return to your first love, I'll remove the lampstand. You'll no longer be the light that you're called to be. And so as a church, 
Let us not become inward. Let us not become merely an inward-grown ingrown church. Let's be a church that is captivated by our first love in Christ. And that leads us to, to want to share about this, 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 this treasure that we have. You know, evangelism is not you having all the right answers. It's just one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is found. And that's why you need to first taste the bread. And, you know, I've been talking a lot about missions, but mission isn't the end. Mission isn't the goal. It's worship. That is the end and the beginning of missions. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Because in heaven, there will be no more worship. I mean, there will be no more missions. <laughs> there will be worship. <laughs> yeah, there will be worship. Sorry. <laughs> Edit that out. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's worship that is the end goal of missions, right? The reason worship doesn't, uh, worship, uh, because worship doesn't exist, missions exist. And that's the reason why we're here on this earth. We're called to be witnesses, right? That word witness is the same word for martyr, right? I think some of us wonder, why does God leave us to suffer in this world? And the apostle Paul said it too. He said, it's better. It's actually gain to go to heaven, right? If Jesus wanted to, he could have just taken his disciples with him to heaven, to a place of no more tears, no more pain, the reason we are still here is because there are still many, many places, many people where worship is not, not there. And so we're called to go out to them. And it's through that you can, you can experience the true joy, the true joy of, of being the friend of the bridegroom, right? We're, gonna, we're about to have a wedding soon, right? Uh, I think uh, Jeremiah died. And then after that, it's a lot more to come, <laughs> a lot of weddings to come. But, you know, what's the best thing about the wedding? It's when the wedding is when the bride and the bridegroom get to kiss each other and they're united, right? And everyone cheers, right? This is not about you, right? But your joy is hearing the voice of the bridegroom and seeing him united to his bride. And that's the words of John the Baptist. He says, I must decrease, he must increase. My joy is to see Jesus united to the bride that he paid for with his life. Does not the lamb deserve the reward for his suffering? Right? As the bridegroom's best friend, our heart's desire is to see Jesus united to the church that he died for and paid for with his blood. That was actually the cry of the first Moravian missionaries. And in the story, these this is a true story. These men saw this island full of slaves who could not hear the gospel. And so what they did was they decided to sell themselves into slavery. They told their parents that they were leaving. They're 26-year-olds, young, young, young men and women, or young men. And, you know, as they were departing the ship, never to return home. And as... Their loved ones were crying out, mourning them. They yelled with their fists high, 
May the lamb that was slain reserve, receive the reward of his suffering. Right? That, is, that is the reason why missions exist. It's because our God is not worshipped. And we long to see him worshipped in the places where he isn't. Because we love him. A mission comes at a cost. Right? It comes at a cost. It doesn't come cheap. And, you know, I just want to read you um, the letter of, of Ruby Kendrick. She was a, you know, one of the reasons why I'm standing here, a Korean Christian. Um, I don't know who the missionaries that evangelized the Vietnamese people, um, but I encourage you, look them up. Be inspired by their stories. Because if it, were, it wasn't for their willingness to go to the hard places, you and I probably wouldn't be in this room. And for me, one of the people I owe my spiritual legacy to is, is Ruby Kendrick. And this is a 24-year-old girl. And she wrote this letter right before she died. It says, dear mom, dear dad and mom, this land, Chosun, is truly a beautiful land. They all resemble God. I see their good heart and zeal for the gospel. And I believe that in a few years, it will be a land overflowing with the love of Christ. But the persecution gets stronger. Two days ago, three or four of those who were accepted Christ less than a week have been dragged away and were martyred. Tonight, I have a strong desire to return home. I remember you, mom, who resisted to the last moment of me leaving the port because of the stories of the hate of foreigners and opposition to the gospel. Dad, mom, perhaps this may be the last letter I will be writing. The seed that was sown in the backyard before I came out here must be filling our neighborhood with flowers. Another seed bear many flowers in the land of Chosen, and they will be seeds to other nations. I will bury my heart in this land. I realize that this passion for Chosen that I have is not mine, but God's passion towards Chosen. Mom, dad, I love you. She was only 24 years old when she passed away. Um, Though she died eight months upon arriving in Korea, her life left the mark. And on her tombstones, it read, if I had a thousand lives to give, Korea should have them all. So why, why, why does missions exist? It's because it's the answer to God's heart cry. It's the greatest need for this world. And because... Worship is the beginning and end of missions. So with that, I, I want to challenge you, church, to, you know, it's like that title of the book, something needs to change. I'm not telling you you have to do a specific thing, but something has to change. We can't keep on living the way we have lived as a church, right? And I know one of the excuses we can make, not excuse, but one of, one of the valid things we can say is there is enough problems on our plate here, in my own family, even in our own youth, right? There's enough mission field here. And, and start there. Begin there. Begin here and now. But also, also recognize that we don't need to be afraid of expanding our compassion to the rest of this world. I think sometimes we make the, uh, the excuse no, um, it's not about the numbers, right? It's not about the numbers. We use that a lot. 
And it's true. It's not about the numbers in the sense that, hey, it's not about having a big church so we can show off and feel good about our, our church compared to the other church down the street. We can look at our offering numbers. In that sense, it's not about the numbers. It's not about the numbers about trying to artificially gain people to church through attracting them through um, things that are not the gospel. But it's also sometimes that phrase becomes a cover for our lack of compassion, for our laziness, to, to the suffering and, and the need around us. Because if you look at the Bible, Jesus' heart is for the crowds. The numbers do matter to God. Because for him, each person is created in his image. For him, Jesus was drawn to the crowds. He was drawn to the broken. He was drawn to those who were in the greatest possible need. And so being a Christian means that, that we need to keep in step with that heart, to not be tone deaf to that. And if that means we need to change the way we do things, reevaluate how we plan our families, our churches, reevaluate how we do our budgets, then we need to ask this in prayer. What is, Lord, what is it you want to do with me, with what you have given me? And so, um, yeah, I think, I think um, one thing that we're trying to challenge our church is those who are in a small group, uh, we want you guys to and it's not about like a quota or anything, but it's really like, if you are in a small group, we should at least be able to share the gospel to one person a month, at least one person. It's not a lot that we're asking, but if we do that all together, think of how many people we will reach. And for those of you guys who are not in a small group, and ask the Lord, what is something I could change to have my heart Beat for the things that your heart beats, Lord. So uh, I'll close there, and um, I just want to pray for us.